0: Welcome everyone to The Medical Matrix. Uh, I'm your host, Dr. Rosie Sender, and here is our co-host, Dr. Erica Fisk. Hello. Hi, Erica. Hi, Rosie. How are you? <laughs> good, good. How are you? We have our guest, Param Bidja, who's here to talk to us about uh, machine learning and health informatics. Param is a software engineer working on health AI at Amazon. Uh, He graduated from the University of Connecticut with a uh, bachelor's in computer science and engineering in 2019. At the University of Connecticut, he did research in the laboratory of machine learning and health informatics, where he built predictive models for depression using smartwatch sensing data. And he's been interested in the intersection of healthcare and technology ever since. And that led him to pursue an opportunity at Amazon where he's been building a new healthcare product called AWS HealthLake. And so um, just for our listeners out there um, who might not have a full grasp of machine learning, I just will give a little bit of a background. So machine learning is the study of uh, computer algorithms uh, that improve automatically through experience and by using data. And the machine learning algorithms um, build a model based on sample data of passive observations in order to make predictions or decisions without being explicitly programmed to do so. And it's seen as a part of artificial intelligence, but they are separate. Machine learning grew out of the quest for artificial intelligence actually, and the field changed its goal from achieving artificial intelligence to tackling solvable problems of a practical nature. So it shifted focus away from sort of the symbolic approaches of AI and more towards methods and models borrowed from statistics and probability theory. Um, And so with that, we'll uh, move forward with the interview. So Param, uh, why don't you start with uh, telling us what inspired you to do your research in uh, machine learning?
1: Yeah, so uh, in undergrad, I uh, had heard of this this budding field of machine learning. Um, I was taking some classes on the side, and I could tell that it was going to be a hugely popular um, subset of computer science. Um, and in parallel, I was seeing companies like Tesla and a lot of these machine learning applications uh, being uh, coming into the mainstream. And so it was uh, machine learning was super, super interesting. Um, Joining that with healthcare uh, came from most of the influences around me. So most of my friends, especially early on in college, were in health sciences. Uh, They were either in uh, on the pre-med track um, or becoming PAs um, and things like that. So I I was constantly talking to them about things that they noticed in their domain. And it started to be an interesting bridge of uh, connecting the problems that they have with the things that this research lab at UConn was doing. Um, And so that's where I started and I I went to work for that lab um, out of the interest in joining these two things.
0: And is that where you started to build the predictive models for depression using the smartwatch uh, sensing data in that lab?
1: Yeah, exactly. So we did a study where uh, we gave hundred patients at a nearby hospital um, Fitbit sensors. Uh, and our goal in that study was to try to tackle mental health disorders in a better way than the uh, standard way and using novel machine learning techniques and doing that. And so we, were, uh, we started off by, like, by giving patients the Fitbits and building mechanisms for us to collect uh, weekly data. So every week we would collect data around the uh, sleep data from the Fitbits, the, their activity data and their heart rate data. Um, And simultaneously they were going in to see a doctor every week. So we were getting ground truth labels as well. Um, And so we were able to test out different approaches to find the best suited one for uh, this specific problem of mapping um, these three inputs. And then uh, we started to add more inputs to the model over time like, uh, like notifications through text messages to symbolize socialization. Um, and things like that. but the the goal was mapping these inputs to the the ground truth label of of whether they were depressed or not.
2: Did you find it to be accurate?
1: so the the study ended up being the we did beat the uh, state of the art for the technique we were working on. It was I think the state of the art was seventy five percent um about seventy five percent. We ended up getting close to eighty percent on the test set accuracy so the way these these uh, these benchmarks are usually done is you take your data set and you uh, you make you kind of separate out a subset of the data to be your test set which is you kind of you, you don't train on that and so at the end once your model is done training you uh, benchmark that model against the test set and so you uh, and, and the model has never seen those examples so you know that uh, you're not biased the, the model model is not biased it's very similar to how uh, in, a, in a class uh, where there was a teacher administering an exam, they would uh, perhaps take some subsets of the, uh, from the text, uh, problems from a textbook that weren't asked during homework uh, and ask those uh, on a test. Just like that, you kind of have a, a test set of questions uh, for the model at the end, and so that's how we got to that 80% mark.
0: So is that now, did did you write that up as a result in some sort of scientific journal at all or, and is it being employed and practice, is it being practically used?
1: So what I did was for a thesis. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was not in an actual like medical journal or anything like that. Um, Mm -hmm. There is a, there is like a, a library or journal at the university where things get published, but on the topic of being used practically, not that I know of, the mm-hmm. I don't know of that model specifically being used practically. However, mm-hmm. I do think that many companies have, or I'm sure Apple and Fitbit, the two biggest players in the smartwatch game, have some sort of analytics and machine learning capabilities they're doing. Um, mm-hmm. But again, that's proprietary to them. So I, I wouldn't know the specifics, but I think that the general practice is done uh, in, in industry.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I understood that. I was just wondering whether you took your particular model uh, a little bit further and stuff, but uh, yeah, that, that, that was, yeah. So no, that's, that's, uh, that's all good. Um, so can you tell us maybe a little bit about HealthLake and what you're doing there?
1: Yeah, sure. So, so HealthLake is basically a platform that allows um, healthcare customers, whether they be insurance companies or healthcare systems, physicians to store their data in one place, such that they can communicate with each other in a standard format. And so uh, the the kind of problem that HealthLake tries to solve is allowing all the stakeholders in medicine, whether that be payers or patients or doctors, to speak the same language um, and have a central place for their data. Um, And so this problem of interoperability is kind of uh, a precursor to doing analytics and machine learning. Um, and so what I'm working on at Amazon is kind of setting up foundations for builders to do uh, AI and machine learning on top of that organized data.
0: So have you identified who your stakeholders are or how are you, how are you guys doing that?
1: Yeah. Um, I think our stakeholders are anyone who, who has healthcare data that would like interoperability. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure every stakeholder that, has uh reads and writes medical data has some sort of use case where they could benefit from other stakeholders either knowing that they are reading and writing or learning from those use cases so basically any stakeholder that has medical data we are targeting like specific stakeholders to begin with um but i think the broad goal is to to target uh overall to target anyone who has healthcare specific data
2: i would find this whole program to be hugely hugely unpopular you know, just only because that's where so much industry makes huge amount of dollars because the systems don't communicate, you're getting redundant tests, you're getting, I mean, that's, there's a reason that there are 20 different EMR systems is because they're all very profitable for what they do. And if you health link everything, those aren't obviously people who are going to be missing out because if all the data is transferable to, from one system to another, then how are these individual companies going to make money? I mean, I can, I can comment on from just a resident standpoint, we would have hospitals half a mile from us and their system did not communicate with us. And so I think they do it on purpose in the sense that when they transfer half a mile, they didn't come with their tests, they don't come with their images, they don't communicate with our system and we're right, like, you know, similar problems. Like why can't we just have like a social security number rather than like a medical record number where we can access all this data? Why does it have to communicate system versus system? And the reason is, is in my opinion, which is obviously my opinion, but the reason is, is because that's not profitable for the hospitals. They they kind of rely on that extra excess mm-hmm. to make money. And so I would just find this like a hugely, hugely unpopular thought. Yeah. Because it's somewhat organizing healthcare, which is somewhat very disorganized, almost on
0: purpose. Yeah, yeah. we did a we did we did a, a episode <laughs> last. <to> <laughs> our, our last episode was sort of looking at where uh, the healthcare dollars are spent unwisely, right? And a lot of it yeah. is administration and and things that actually don't really uh, help really deliver healthcare, you know, in an efficient way. But anyway, sorry, yeah. let you I'll let you answer
1: that. Yeah, I think uh, the mm-hmm. you have to make it. I think you're totally right that the incentives are not set up right now to kind of encourage interoperability and and standardization. So you have to make it worth their time and effort to do it. And so, you know, a hospital might not want to do it at first, but if I told you, hey, you can leverage Amazon's machine learning platforms if you do it, or you can leverage analytics software um, so you don't have to build your own custom software, um, around your healthcare analytics, or, um, you know, you basically, you have to kind of have a lot of features in there, or like, uh, you know, we can parse your PDFs, your patient doctor PDFs that are all in a filing cabinet. Uh, so, so you have to make it enticing by showing them that there are kind of, uh, benefits of doing it that are more than just like helping other hospitals talk to you. Um, you can also help yourself, uh, leverage the powers of uh, the power of the machine learning community other companies and things like that i, I
0: will I, I will sort of actually support that part because like i i have this startup and you know we actually have to use amazon now as like a as a, as a server too right just because a lot of stuff's already offered that we don't have to kind of reinvent the wheel and spend a lot of lot more money and time building out those models ourselves right so um there are some tools so i I think i think that it could be definitely enticing but uh i i I kind of agree with erica though there's still a little bit of a heavy lift right so i think people are going to have to be somewhat forced into that in a way yeah and people not in the sense of clinicians because it makes mean
2: overwhelming sense for us and feasibility and access. And I want your records and we don't have to send out our records to anybody. And it's all just accessible.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, it makes a hundred percent sense from a clinician standpoint. It's not the barrier, but I just, I can't see that actually without major incentives, it being very popular.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, and the thing yeah. is like, and, and no, I definitely agree with Erica mm-hmm. it definitely for clinicians, it would be so much easier. And because, you know, most people don't remem- remember, remember you know, half their medical data or who they saw for a particular treatment or what they've had done or any, you know, so there's, there's a lot of extra time and effort sometimes trying to piece together uh, a patient's uh, chart, you know, and seeing exactly what's going on with them. And there are countries where it's actually much more streamlined between different healthcare facilities, and you don't have that same kind of struggle, right? And, and so I guess those are more the socialized systems for sure, right? I know France is like one of those ones and Canada to some degree, but here that's, it's set up a little bit differently for sure.
1: Yeah. Another natu- another way of a kind of getting to that would be the government regulations. If, you know, if the government says that, you know, we need to, you enforces the digitization of health records um, that hospitals must digitize records and have electronic trails, Um, That would push people to start thinking more about what would be the easiest way of doing that. And so when you have a system where clearly the patient would benefit from this interoperability, it's just that the corporations over looking over these patients and physicians are, are opposed to it. Um, One way possibly could be uh, some government regulations that push these organizations to digitize their records.
2: Do you see any, I guess, risk of having all the data kind of linked in a cybersecurity type of um, risk, you know, is if everything is accessible through one system, what kind of cybersecurity risk is that? Because our hospital has been hacked and, Mm -hmm. you know, then everybody's information, your social security number, your address, your, Mm -hmm. you know, everything is available. Yeah, your health and, records. And- like
0: you might, you know, who wants to share everything to, you know, and it's.
1: Yeah. So I, um, this is a common concern and we had to go through a lot to get HIPAA. You, you have to just electronically, there's a lot in the HIPAA uh, realm of like figuring out how to be able to take on healthcare data. But the argument I would make is Amazon is trusted with very sensitive data and as what, as many of these large corporations are. And so you could make an argument that uh, Amazon's cybersecurity posture is actually stronger than an on-premise uh, small hospital mm. network's cybersecurity posture. Um, you know, the number of times Amazon's been hacked uh, is probably zero because there's uh, a strong posture and a, a huge community of cybersecurity experts and engineers working behind it. And and the the probability that these smaller healthcare networks can can have that type of uh, just the resource pool of cybersecurity PhDs, uh, researchers, um, that type of security posture is just a lot harder to get on premise. The other thing is, When you have on premise data, you can also get a lot more like physical access issues where people can get access to information because it's on premise. Uh, Like, because if a lot of hospitals store their data on in the actual hospital or servers near the hospital. And so now you have a situation where, like, if anything were to happen, like, let's say, you know, uh, a flood or like something where the data would get corrupt because the, the physical location is no longer able to, to store that data, you lose it. Um, you basically would, could lose it in in uh, that situation. Whereas Amazon has solved this problem and AWS generally has solved this problem by doing things like redundancy. So data is like copied in like five or six parts of America and different corner, random corners and things like that. So by there, are, there is a risk in centralizing. But when you centralize, you get the benefits of all these best practices that a huge technology com- a cloud provider has.
0: So can I? So one of the other concerns, though, I think that many people would you know feel is now you do have a company that owns your data, and some of this is like very sensitive data. So I, I wonder about, yeah, I wonder how that would really go over, you know what I mean? Like we're all yeah. kind of, we increasingly feel um, that our data is, it's, it's mined from was, many different We've all been microchipped after the vaccine. Well, so I
2: don't know what you're talking very,
0: about. It's so very true. Maybe I've been in denial so, about that. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I guess- Your
2: data is already out there. My data
0: is already it. out there. I guess, it's, I guess it's, so maybe this is just a, hey- They're
2: machine learning off of you, whether you like yeah. it or not. It's well, already happening.
0: Well, I know. I should, it's, it's funny. It's Yeah, that's funny. I mean, the, the phone already takes all of our data. So it's like, a, I guess maybe it's a bit of a moot point. But I'm just sort of, I was just sort of thinking that mm-hmm. that could be one of those, sort of concerns right from sort of a philosophical or ethical like viewpoint right this is this is a lot of sensitive information right people's health data and especially like if you have like you know obviously physical health concerns but mental health concerns right so i think that it's uh, it's it's a little bit of a slippery slope too right so yeah i don't know
1: of it's course a... it is, it is risky and you need to have, mm-hmm. um, permission from the patients. I'm sure, mm-hmm. I, I don't know the specific legalities, but I'm sure, uh, the patients have to be okay with that. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, it's a matter of, you know, uh, it's like, it's a matter of, do you want the benefits of it or, mm-hmm. uh, privacy? And I know like right now the, these two things are, there's, there's a huge discussion over what do we, uh, what should we value more, but Um, I think that's, yeah, like patients will have to decide at the end of the day.
0: But that's like anything anymore, right? Like everything, it's sort of our world has become so increasingly reliant on technology, and right. you know it makes it hard to survive without giving up some of your privacy, no matter where it is, right? So like, uh, and this is just uh, this is going to be just like it's, I just bring it up because I think it's just going to be another area of discussion at some point, you know that uh, Yeah, yeah, you know that you, you might end up facing.
1: Yeah. I know there's some regulations in Europe that came out around the right to be forgotten, uh, which Mm -hmm. helps people kind of feel safer about this, which is that if at any point a customer says, I no longer want my data stored, a company has to always uh, support that ability to just nuke all their data. So. Uh maybe things like that might help in the future. But yeah, yeah you're right. It's yeah. uh it's gonna be a tug and it's gonna be a it's gonna be a tug and pull. Yeah.
0: And is your is your data actually truly nuked? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, that's like <laughs> right. that's a whole other that's a whole other- Discussion. So, yeah, I won't, yeah. Go, I won't go deeper into that. I think it's uh, uh, this the, that's getting sort of maybe out of the scope of things. But, yeah, yeah. Um, how about this? So, one of the things also, obviously, you're approaching machine learning from uh, for health informatics and and sort of being in that kind of world. What areas of medicine do you see like where machine learning will be likely utilized and fairly quickly? Like, you know, mm-hmm. a- apart from interventional radiology, I think radiology is obviously one of those areas of medicine that will increasingly move to machine learning, right? A computer's a- going to be able to accurately read an image compared to the yeah. human eye. Um, wh- where do you see uh, machine learning now and, and, and its potential You maybe within the next five years?
1: Yeah. So the first part that I see, or one large part, and this is a bit of a cop-out because it's not necessarily a type of physician, but I think insurance companies are actually going to be the biggest drivers to begin with. Um, and the reason is because the incentives are kind of in the perfect condition for them to uh, to be more invested in it. Um, so I'll explain why. Like, uh, you know, if you're an insurance company, um, you're constantly modeling risk and you're constantly monitoring preventative care, uh, the the investments. You're basically trying to figure out how much should we Invest in preventative care, such that it will save us money after. Uh, such that it will save us money, so that some bigger issues don't come up later, right? So people get physicals every six months. Um, hey, the the models show that those people are less prone to things like diabetes or something else, whatever the the models are. So. In that sense, um, insurance companies are ripe because this is exactly the the value proposition of machine learning in healthcare. Right, once mm-hmm. you are able to uh, kind of see a, a patient's longitudinal journey and structure that data, you can now build algorithms that show you correlations and connections in the data that humans would not have otherwise seen. So maybe if you join two or three big signals and uh, you're able to uh, stop some large investment that insurance companies would have to make in patients' lives later. Insurance companies would uh, benefit from that. so I think I think that's one uh, kind of vertical of the industry that's gonna definitely drive the the uh, machine learning part. the other uh, the other part that I see is um, there's a lot more technology being infused in people's lives. so I think, I honestly think physicians could benefit from um, a lot of this technology, uh, and I always uh, so so. For example, to give you more a more concrete example, we all wear these Apple watches. I think a lot of people have Apple watches and Fitbits, and if uh, I, I'm I'm sure physicians could really benefit from knowing what my activity levels are like day to day, or what my heart rate is like day to day. Or now they even do like O2 readings and things like that. So. I think like the, the, from the physician side, it's like, there's so many signals that are in technology already that would probably help you all make better decisions that I think could definitely drive that. Now, how much say physicians have in this system? I don't know. You guys can speak to that. Um, but I'm sure you, you would benefit from, from these, uh, technology kind of the the data that's already out there. You just can't access it.
0: Yes and no, right? Because a a part of it is also the reliability of the data that you're getting, right? So I think, you know, an Apple did that EKG strip, right? Like that, or the EKG readings. I, I actually don't know whether... That it was uh, accurate enough in the sense that somebody, as a, like as a physician, physician wouldn't send somebody for 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 a formal EKG, right? Like, oh, I'm going to trust the data that I get off the smartwatch. No, I'm probably going to put a Holter monitor on, or I'm probably going to, you know, s- send them to a cardiac stress lab. Just to use that as an example, right? Mm-hmm. Because those are sort of gold standards that we've learned to trust, right? So I think. I think
2: that's just because those EKG strips are new. Yeah. You know, you don't like to trust things that are on the market that are new because you don't know, you don't know yet it hasn't been it hasn't right. been researched, it hasn't been uh justified, not justified, but um vetted basically. 100%, so, right? Yeah. So the Holter monitor poly was also some bogus thing that you strapped around your, like, how is this going to give me an accurate reading of my heart? And mm-hmm. all the people who do normal EKGs, like, that's ridiculous. I'm yeah. not going to trust that. Until yeah. it became trustworthy. It's like, yeah. okay, they, they do reasonable. It's enough. Right, and right. Yeah. Those technologies are going to become more advanced and smaller and vetted over time to the point where it would make sense.
0: No, I agree with that. I'm just saying at this point right now, like I, I don't think there's enough data to prove right now that, you know, it's reliable and accurate enough at this point in time. I don't mean in the future. I think definitely the wearable technology space is definitely growing. <laughs> um, and uh, and as certainly there are a lot of sophisticated wearables out there uh, and technology yeah. and, and and they'll continue to improve. I just sort of think, you know, we have to get to a point where in medicine erica that like obviously we have to make sure that something's vetted when we're using it on our actual patients right and you you have to sort of meet some sort of benchmark criteria it is it's right
2: benchmark but then that's also how you drive an industry is that you have to you know trust it to it fails fails. everything there's a lot of things that are not fda approved Mm -hmm. and they have to be Researched mm-hmm. and somebody has to try them.
0: Yeah. And then you, yeah. you go
2: and you make a decision about whether it's going to be be something that's going to work out long term or not. Yeah. Um, for me, that kind of data would be very important, not so much in kind of like the preventative and learn like monitoring your O2 and your SATs. And maybe you get uh, alarms if someone drops you know, below a certain level and you get an email or whatever. I think it'd be really fascinating from uh, assessing risks for before surgery. Mm-hmm. It's like is this person going to be compliant and are they going to stop smoking and what are you doing and almost kind of like monitoring somebody after after surgery too because a lot of complications come from non-compliance and that would mm-hmm. prove it and that was that would be fascinating to me yeah. <laughs> to see what exactly you know are these are these things you know happening because of some reason, or is it because of the patient compliance or, you know, what other things are contributing that are being monitored that might be helpful to assess risk for surgical patients?
1: Yeah. One part of that depression study was also, we asked patients to fill out self-identification forms, um, and to, to identify how much they're sleeping or how much they're, uh, socializing or exercising. And we realized that, they were way off. Like the self-identifications were way off and everyone had different benchmarks of like, what is like between one and five, if you had to rate it, like someone's three could be another person's like four or five. And so like, maybe for those types of things, it would help you like, like calories is hard to, you know, argue like that is most likely calories is or steps, things like that, where you can start with, uh, things that aren't super sensitive Um, like EKGs and gradually gain more trust in the community in these, these wearables?
0: Yeah, that's the stat. I mean, there's like so many wearables that are out there that some have been able to, some have had a little bit more staying power than others. Right. But you know, I think the thing is like, again, it's, it's one of those things where you still have to have enough trials to kind of, you know, reproduce the data reliably, and and I think there's there is definitely a lot of benefit to tracking, you know, what's happening out in the real world, you know, in, in real right. time. And uh, <laughs> she's uh, plugging. I'm her plugging. Startup, I'm actually. Everybody. I'm already trying to lay the foundation <laughs> of
2: my <laughs> my company's product. <laughs> right. I oh, that's so funny. Well, I think that's really um, fascinating because in some ways. The machine learning is actually more a- accurate than the subjective impression of people's, you know, of themselves, right? And that's that's kind of frightening. Yeah. <laughs> but also, you know, is the machine know me better than I do?
1: Maybe. Well, well it, <laughs> yeah, it allows us to talk the same language. So now we can kind of be statistics. We can be more objective, at least um, mm-hmm. whether. It's like. Yeah. We- I sleep. No, you don't. Yeah, <laughs> you exercise? Like, no, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> exactly.
2: I swear her I only have two drinks a week. No, you, no, you don't. don't.
1: And, yeah, and it <laughs> so removes. We the,
2: have it yeah. on your Apple Watch. Yeah. That it removes this is the not human
1: true. factor, right? Because <laughs> like even when I go to, to my physician, I still feel bad. Like I, I would still feel bad saying like I actually don't exercise. I haven't exercised in six months. Like I, I
2: would <laughs> since COVID started. Yeah. You're not alone, Prime. You're not. Alone.
1: <laughs> Like there's a human factor in those conversations that computers elegantly don't care about. Um, yeah. So, yeah.
0: I love how like, you use the word "elegantly don't care."
1: <laughs> like it's it's nice, right? It's nice that computers don't give a, I a try damn to sleep. about it count. <laughs> people's feelings and social things like that.
2: Yeah. Um, what do you think is the biggest example outside of HealthLink and and the things that we're talking about outside of medicine? Where do you think that? Um, the population could see machine learning on a day to day right now. Like, what's what's the biggest example of machine learning in a, a normal
1: life? Um, so, are you asking like a current application or what you think would be in the future?
2: No, like kind of current, currently. I mean, yeah. where where would I where would I look for that right now in my day to day?
1: So, I think uh, the biggest use case for machine learning right now is personalization. Um, so, if you go on basically most websites nowadays have some personalization engine. Um, If you wind back the clock, uh, maybe 10 years, most search results on the internet, whether that be on Amazon, whether that be on Google, whether that be on YouTube, um, social media, would not be personalized. Uh, So you would all, everyone would get the same results. And over time, um, these technology companies got really good at predicting what you would click on or what you would find interesting. And so they started showing you personalized things. Now this uh, this ranges from the search results themselves <clears throat> to advertisements that come out of those searches um, to even like suggested friends uh, on these platforms. So uh, personalization is like the biggest use case. Um, even on your phone nowadays, like uh, I know, I, I think Androids are like learning on the fly, like what apps you use more and less. and. Even Apple is doing this where they offload apps that you don't use often or like you can start to uh, like they will move around the apps on your home screen to make it more efficient for what you're using, how off uh, based on how often you use it. Um, so personalization in general seems to be uh, the biggest use case, unfortunately. I mean, maybe fortunately for some people, but unfortunately for me, it, it comes through advertising a lot. Um, and so it's nice to see machine learning uh, be used in something other than like, just like ads and like trying to get me to click something right. uh, when we talk about <laughs> but it. it works. Healthcare. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I kind of want to test this out. Like, I feel like we all should Google something and see what comes up.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I was, I was Google
2: the same word
1: I was watching. I, this is a tangent, but have you ever had those conversations where you talk to someone and you feel like you, like they, they, like a search result or an ad shows up based on that conversation oh
2: yeah, yeah because 100%. the phone is listening to yeah. you yeah that's, that's one, one theory like, i was like i want <laughs> i want to go to norway yeah. and then i'm going to get like some trips <laughs> yeah. pop up on my phone yeah about yeah. norway and like sales so Yeah, to norway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> here's the best hotel yeah.
1: another <laughs> thing they do they also establish connections between people So if they know that, you know, Erica and Rosie are friends because they text, uh, because they DM on Instagram and, you know, uh, Rosie searched for, you know, a trip to Norway on Google, uh, they have established a connection between Erica and Rosie such that Erica will also get that advertisement now. Um, Crazy, so there's yeah, this I actually
2: think this has happened already. <laughs> no, I, know, I, know. <laughs> I feel like you're describing our lives because <laughs> during COVID, all we wanted to do was travel. I'm like, Rosie, look at this amazing picture. I, I want to go here. <laughs> and then the next day she would get the same picture. Like yeah. a, a picture from the same place. Exactly. It's 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 <laughs> so true, I feel like this, I, I completely noticed this in my life. It's
1: yeah, scary. it's behind a lot of the applications, to, especially the tech products that we use. Um mm-hmm.
2: Is all of this just meant to make us better consumers?
1: Uh, <laughs> depends who you ask. <laughs> Do you ask the companies? I'm asking
2: Amazon. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I don't speak Because they Amazon? get me a lot. <laughs> but <laughs> Amazon, uh, I think the, the companies themselves probably would say, hey, you know, it's better to show you something that you actually care about than show you some junk. Um, but what, then, if the,
0: what if what if what if it's junk that you keep getting <laughs> presented to you?
1: Oh, right, so. <laughs> even from this, <laughs> that's a whole other problem.
0: That's
2: a whole other problem. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, Do you think HealthLink has that? Like, does it have the objective to, in some way, make you a like a commodity? <laughs> or I don't know how to explain that. Is, is is HealthLink ultimate kind of goal to somehow make humans a commodity? Or I don't, I don't know if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I don't yeah. think so. I think HealthLake is targeting, it, it's target, the, the, the customers of HealthLake are not patients. Uh, We're targeting healthcare uh, stakeholders that want to organize data right now. So I don't think healthcare is at a stage where we can predict things like that. I think you'd be surprised with the, the automation that like HealthLake does, for example, like parsing PDFs, into structured data, that's not like, I don't think that's trying to automate away doctors or like even like build patient profiles or anything. It's more like just getting rid of clerical work that someone would otherwise have to do so that doctors and uh, hospital systems can focus on what they do best, which is, you know, be good doctors, not filling out paperwork and things like that. So Right now, the goal is very much like, at least from my perspective, it's very much like enable these customers to do what they do best and cut out a lot of the monotonous, boring stuff. And interoperability seems to be like one of the main ways to start with that. It's kind of like empowering builders, um, not taking away their jobs or, or, or mining their data type of thing.
0: And I think er, er, Eric and I would uh, support anything that helps with our clerical work. And, well, this kind of goes like into the
2: conversation that I was talking with you about, uh, Rosie, about our, our new AI learning um, dictation oh, yeah. system. Right. It's called Sekera, mm-hmm. and it's it uses AI, and it learns off of my dictations, and I can pretty much mumble almost half my dictations in 45 seconds, and it knows what I'm saying. It's right. amazing. yeah. So, yeah, um, but that's just interesting. It's, it learns my common phrases and it picks them up, and it doesn't have to be clear. Whereas, if you were to dictate like an operative report, you you know who knows what it's going to say, yeah, because it's done by a human, mm-hmm. and right. who knows what what word they think they hear and, and transcribe versus the machine learning is perfect. Oh, right. it's, uh,
0: that's yeah that's an amazing thing i mumble a lot uh, when i'm doing my dictations, so i'm having to al- i use that dragon system a lot of times and i'm having to really mm-hmm. usually go back and correct you know, mm-hmm. half the words and stuff. So it's
2: uh, you yeah. need to get Say It's amazing. Get, yeah. It's it's a game changer. I, yeah. I we we started <laughs> implementing the system probably two months ago, mm-hmm. and it saves me an unbelievable amount of time. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the biggest way I find AI to be useful in my life right now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, I, I, it's interesting. Yeah, I
1: think that is the goal of much of it right now because we all know that you can't automate away the things that a physician does. So the goal is certainly that. I think gradually you'll see like the interface that we have with technology is going to get more and more like human-like. So, you know, we started off with like typing on keyboards and like using mouses, which is like a very like non-human type of interface. Like before computers, typing and moving a mouse was like very weird. But then like these natural language processing devices come out like Alexa, Echo and Google Home. So now you get one level above that where you have like spoken word um, be the interface. And then like, maybe you can even get to a point where you have video or like, uh, Rosie was saying with, um, images you can process in radiology. So basically the, the goal I think right now is just to get more and more close to what the human interaction is so that less of it has to be translated from the physical world to the technology world.
0: That's interesting. It's like trying, yeah, trying to still merge like humans and machines, you know. And uh, so, um, I, one of the things, you know, building off of uh, Erica's comments about, you know, we being seen as a commodity, I think one of the questions I had that I wanted to ask you was, um, in order to build machine learning algorithms and, you know, ultimately AI, we we need to approach pretty much every endeavor with mapping out every possibility, right? Whether it's good or bad for humanity and Mm -hmm. adjust it accordingly. So, and I think ethics always needs to be a part of the conversation with any new technological endeavor especially in the field of medicine, right? And so from the work that you've done to date and how how often have you seen an approach where the ethical implications are part of the discussion and the process?
1: That's a good question. And quite frankly, I, I don't think it's enough uh, the, the discussion yeah. is not enough. The point you say about let's enumerate all the possible outcomes before we endeavor on this, this journey, it's, it's a good thought, but technology traditionally has had like this, this motto, this is like Facebook's original motto, but it's generally adopted, which is move fast and break things. Yeah. Um, and so the, the model in technology is generally like put something out there that's scrappy. Iterate on it, make it better, make it better, make make it better, um, and over time you'll converge on something that's worthwhile for customers, and 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 at least you got feedback while doing it, so you weren't just building and chipping away at this huge thing that wasn't useful.
0: So now, the, the reason, oh sorry, yeah, go ahead.
1: go ahead, yeah, go ahead. It, th- yeah. See that 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 approach doesn't seem like it would work in medicine, right? So that's where. It
0: it doesn't. And that's why I wanted to bring it up because this is the thing I think about all the time. Right. So in medicine, we're troubleshooters. Right. At the end of the day, you know, when we're seeing a patient, we have differentials of what's going on. We have to think about every single possibility from like the most basic, you know, mild thing to the most worrisome thing that could have a horrible outcome for somebody and that's how you that's how you are a good physician right that you map out every possibility and are prepared for any sort of scenario right Right. and so that's why and that's why you know so ethics is a big part and you know that's sort of the ethical process of a a, of a physician right and so i found that in technology yeah that just you know just keep more moving forward and not stopping to think about what you're creating right and that's always something I've I felt such a tension with, and even, even with what I'm doing, like overall, I see uh, that, you know, there's going to be a lot of positive outcome from this, but I've also been able to map out where it could be problematic. And actually some of that kind of keeps me up at night that, you know, possibly are we going to create something that could be problematic in in these sort of scenarios? And Mm -hmm. so uh, I don't think it gets done enough. And I think it's something that needs to... I think there needs to be bigger conversations, definitely in technology, but that's just not the culture, I right. think, right? And and that's, what, that's kind of part of why I even wanted to do this podcast, to be able to, you know, engage like the different sort of cultures together and, and the different yeah. kind of fields, because a lot of the times, you know, we might have like an overarching goal that is similar, but our ways to get there and our concerns are not always the same, so...
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think the short term solution would be still having a human in the loop. We should still have oversight uh in these automation automated processes. Um, like for example, if if you uh if you want to automate the radiology sector, you shouldn't just like notify the patient after the machine learning algorithm says, like, oh, there's something worrisome here. There's there's should probably still be a radiologist in the loop. It's just that they have a lot more data at their disposal, uh, that the, the algorithms have suggested to make their jobs easier. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't, yeah, I, I don't think most systems, uh, in that space of automating things are, uh, in healthcare are mature enough yet to trust entirely on their own. Oh
0: yeah, I oh, know. Yeah. 100% there. <laughs>
1: yeah. And
0: you know, yeah. And again, you know, like we are we deal with people, right? Like uh you know, right. obviously, you know, obviously we're interacting with technology, but at the end of the day, there's still a human being in front of us that like we we interact with and and yeah. ha- who has who we interact with with very human emotions too, right? So it's uh it's a different definitely a different lens, you know, and it, it gives is, you a different yeah. perspective and and and, and how how we need to kind of move forward right so yeah I guess part of I mean
2: I don't know a lot about the technology world in general our, our fields are very separate at least I know Rosie's trying to this whole purpose is to try to bridge them and kind of understand each other and the ethical part is is definitely huge and I kind of think about Silicon Valley the the show. Where they created this thing, they finally got they spent all this time and effort. and then they finally got to the end, and they made something that was dangerous. And they said, "Nope, we're just going to shut it down. Yeah. And I just can't <laughs> really I know like art that's it doesn't seem like that's like a a thing that is realistic for most people. If, like they created something that is going to be bad for for humanity in that sense, but it's so ultra successful and, you know, amazing. Does the tech world have the capacity to shut something down before it gets out of control? This is separate from health in general. I mean, if you're talking about machine learning and AI and artificial intelligence, it's always kind of that in the back of your head, how smart can these machines get?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like Pandora's box. When you open it, it doesn't go back. Unfortunately it's Yeah. yeah. It's like
2: once that technology is out there, it's there. It's there. It's yeah. there. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's and then there. And here's my
2: other example, Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park. He's like, <laughs> yeah. you guys are making dinosaurs, but you never think if you should. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm bringing up analogies and m- maybe a rhetorical question, but if something were to get so big and out of control, like does, can something get so big and so smart that you can't stop it? And I think that's always the back of the mind of, AI technology and machine learning in general. Yeah.
0: Elon, Elon Musk also has, uh, has famously said that too, he's right? He's Like, yeah. yeah, he's, he's concerned about AI.
1: He is. Yeah. Elon
0: Musk
2: is worried about, I am now officially worried about it. I'm just saying that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Also. He's, he um, like spoke to the, a bunch of politicians and tried to convince them to like start a committee and he's, he's actually taking action on it. Um,
0: well that's great and that's great because this is what i was getting to there needs to be more discussions to map out all the possible implications right. of something right and you need to have like ethics be a big part of it right because like i'm yeah. certainly not signing up for the end of humanity in any way so like i don't want to be right. involved in this like process yeah. right
2: if someone <laughs> wants to do all my paperwork though i'm
1: in <laughs> okay set that up well then set that you're up. like I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll
0: shave off a few years of my life that's fine yeah. <laughs> that's I, I, my I might exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the good thing is as uh, as smart and as much hype as AI has gotten, the intelligence that we've been able to build is very narrow in its mm-hmm. scope. It, mm-hmm. We have not gotten anywhere near general intelligence. Yeah. Uh, every mm-hmm. single machine learning algorithm is super, super optimized mm-hmm. for a very specific task. Um, yeah. So, that's good right now uh there is a i'm sure a large body of work or people large number of people working towards general ai whether it's possible or not uh, we don't know but it's uh we're nowhere near that um we're building dumb algorithms that are really good at one thing like like just super super good at one thing
0: but i mean the thing is you got to start those conversations now right because the you know ai grows really quickly right it's exponential you know, in in terms of like the growth of technology. So even though right now, our our capabilities are limited, it's not going to be limited, you know, indefinitely, right? So there's going to be a point. So that's why you have to kind of start having, you know, discussing those kind of concerns right now, like what what are we willing to live with? What are the possible like implications of everything that we're doing? And what's really good for, you know, humanity, society, whatever you want, you know, you know, and again, you always have like sort of differing, different goals too, right? My goal is going to be different than, you know, somebody who heads some sort of corporation, but at the same time, I think we need to still be having um, some ethical discussions for sure. You know,
2: yeah. I think the what I understand of the goal of HealthLink to be is super noble. Um in the sense that it makes just overwhelming sense to have medical information accessible via and centralized so you can have access to it and across different hospital systems so that you can have a more comprehensive, you know, chart or view of a patient's history so that you can treat them more appropriately and and have a full understanding, and um, not be roadblocked by technological issues that are just part of our system now. And with the right intentions, which that's what I don't know, um, like what are the intentions necessarily, but uh, with the right intentions, that's it seems like it'd be a hugely successful addition to the medical care system now. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of technology that I'm sure I did a lot of technology products that have made the system better. To to be a bit more optimistic, um, you <laughs> sorry, know. Sorry, sorry, we did go no, down.
0: No, we did go down rabbit hole no. there.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah. I know a friend who worked at Zocdoc for a few years, and mm-hmm. you know what they built is seemingly, you know, it's super helpful for patients to connect to doctors and make that whole process a lot easier. And you know, uh, you can imagine how like that 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 seems like an overall win for yeah. for the community and and there, there's other products like that like the nl the natural language processing tool that erica mentioned i'm sure is mm-hmm. another one uh so I, our track record is good so far i think but uh of course yeah it's worth being
2: with the right intentions with the
1: right with the right intentions
0: yeah keep the right yeah. intentions yeah. Yeah. No, definitely anything that can kind of help assist us, right? You know, and in some of those more menial type tasks that really do take a lot of our physical time and energy. You know, um, I would much rather spend an extra hour in the operating room than spend an extra hour or two doing paperwork, right? That could maybe you know, be uh, handled a lot quicker and more efficiently um, right. with um, some sort of machine learning algorithm.
1: Yeah. And it also, the benefits also get passed on to the patients. If we're able to cut out costs in the system, mm-hmm. you can lower the cost of uh, healthcare. Like, you know, you might have needed a scribe in the past uh, to do what, um, what these uh, programs, these applications can do at scale. And so if you don't need to pay for a scribe, you can pass uh, with the right intentions. Again, you can pass those uh, benefits on to the patients and reduce the cost of care um, or any clerical work, I'm sure could uh, save uh, patients money at the end of the day.
0: I would have been even happy with the scribe all these years. (laughs) That's a luxury. (laughs) Uh, You got to get
1: this, this app, app that Erica keeps talking about
0: yeah yeah it's amazing
2: I it saves me it saves me an hour of time every yeah, day that's
0: a, no that's like amazing um yeah. but uh erica do you have any more questions or uh,
2: i don't have a question but i have a comment for the end
0: okay all right
2: it's actually not a comment it's a joke it's a joke <laughs> okay it may be surprising but it's a joke
0: okay why don't why don't uh, is there anything that you would like to say in closing at all or anything that we might have missed that you uh um wanted to address
1: um nothing that we missed um yeah i think in closing i would just say that i think it's about time at least from the technology perspective the people in tech everyone's always looked at healthcare as this huge mountain and Mm -hmm. everyone's known that it's like we're get it, like we're going to get there like the yeah. technology is going to have to get like we're going to have to get there mm-hmm. um and it seems like uh now and not just now but re- recently uh, people are taking on the the um that that journey of going through a lot more regulations and uh you have to be much more responsible in building healthcare products than you do in like social media companies and stuff so um but it's good i think we're finally there and Uh, It's like obviously early days, but I'm glad that this journey is starting and you have people like me who don't know much about healthcare able to help uh, patients and doctors. Um, And so I hope that over time, there's more investment in this type of, these types of things and these types of initiatives, Um, again, with the right uh, motivation and incentives and um, all of that, but uh, I hope that it continues to grow.
0: Well, that was a, that was a nice closing statement. (laughs) Very Very well said. Yeah. Okay. All right, Erica. Let's hear your joke. Okay, <laughs> I'll put
2: it at the very end, just in case. It wants okay. To be cut okay. Off. I get it. Okay. So. Well, okay. There's. Oh, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> no, it's a really good joke. I'm gonna tell it. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> so there's an older couple, and they're sitting in the kitchen, and the old man, he goes, Alexa, can you please play a little Mozart? And the guy's like, Alexa, Alexa, and his wife goes, Alexa's in the living room. You're talking to the tuna fish can. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little funny <laughs> that's that funny
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's my amazon joke that's right. <laughs> my uh this is tangential my oral surgeon had an alexa in the the room and what? i don't know if you if you guys have seen this but he would just like play music um and just like yeah he would he was mainly using it for music but i was thinking that's like a pretty could be a pretty useful tool to have in the room um, to to kind of report things. Alexa,
2: how do you do the surgery? Yeah, <laughs> surgical technique.
1: Alexa, do this surgery. <laughs> Ankle fracture.
2: Yeah, that's where we're going. That's where we're all scared of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe not. Who knows? Maybe the computer can do it better. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, not Alexa. Well, that's the whole thing with the, the the Google glasses, and you can kind of you could probably watch a surgical video on your glasses Mm -hmm. or that was kind of a thing for a while Mm -hmm. i haven't heard much about that oh that died
1: there was some some issues like probably 10 years ago so google (laughs) basically yeah go ahead sorry go ahead google gave up on it because the public sentiment was so bad um like apparently these you know you had all these like google google guys like walking around san francisco with these glasses and like recording people and saying like oh look like i recorded my day and like, uh, and the PR was terrible. People started yeah. saying like, oh, like you guys are like spying on people and you guys are like trying to, they marketed it in such a way that was like, like we're better because of this, like we're better <laughs> human beings and people didn't like that. Um, yeah. And so they had to, it was one of those things that was like just too ahead of its time and marketed terribly. Uh, mm-hmm. So they had to, to wind it down.
0: Well, there's, a, I, I, actually, I actually know somebody who has some sort of a similar idea for particularly actually for surgery. And I think they've, uh, they I think they, I better not say too much right now. I don't know how, how much I'm allowed to say, but like, but I think it's sort of in some fashion coming back, you know, maybe sort of in, in a different kind of context. Right. Um, but, uh.
1: Yeah. Um, in a more specific domain, it could definitely yeah. be useful. Um, yeah. I think Google is trying to do it like very generally, just like, yeah. like your normal glasses would be. And that's where people start to be like, hmm, I don't know if I want People to be walking around recording me every day, type of thing.
0: Right. I mean, because it's all right, you already feel like every part of your day is recorded by your phone. Like the last thing you want is some random guy like,
1: <laughs> recording. Right. And it never goes <laughs> away. Like yeah. you, you, once it's recorded and sent to Google's cloud, you know, anyone yeah. can wind back the clock and like, yeah, it's all, it's a permanent record.
0: Well, like we see yeah, that's the thing, like everything's such a permanent record these days. Like people who use Twitter and I, I rarely ever put anything on there, but I feel sorry for some of the people who kind of started out and just put out random thoughts and like it's coming to bite them. Uh, you know oh yeah like now right like when you know you can't say anything anymore because somebody gets upset and then tries to get you fired from everything but like (laughs) there's there's just so much of that it's just become crazy like this has become a really crazy kind of world right but like literally like I think I don't know it was definitely an easier time when we kind of grew up just because like you could just be kind of pray to just be whatever (laughs) right um but like uh, but now everything is just there for posterity right and you know sometimes you know it doesn't everything doesn't need to be out to be recorded and 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 stored uh, hey
2: rosie maybe in five years (laughs) or maybe 10 years Mm -hmm. we'll have a podcast about Hometown medicine, but you know, back in your little medical bag and like your stethoscope and like, here's your town doctor back in when things were, things
0: were better. Back in my, yeah. back in my day.
2: That, that's right. <laughs> back in my day when technology didn't exist and you had to use your physical exam.
0: Yeah. <laughs> dairy. Well, nothing, yeah. but you know, that's a, that is kind of an interesting point because we've been able to kind of do both, right? So we're kind of in that world where we did a lot of that hands-on stuff, but now with technology increasing we're going to have this other capability so it's going to be it's going to be interesting uh, like to, to sort of um yeah it's going to be an interesting perspective in a few years that we might have we'll
2: go back to medieval times when you had to like bloodlet people to rid them of their diseases <laughs> yeah exactly so.
0: you have you have some bad humor so
2: let's so let's care. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Okay, We'll How get do- rid of all this last part. On yeah. this. <laughs> I've lost my way. We should keep anyway. the joke. Sorry.
0: Yeah. But uh, anyway, well, um, we'll just sort of sign off. But thank you, Prom, for uh, coming and joining us on this episode today and, and, you know, giving us a little window into machine learning. And, you know, it's a uh, place in medicine where it is now and where we're probably going to go. And oh, thank you again, always, Erica. And uh, it's been, it's been fun. It's been a pleasure, Rosie. It's good seeing you. <laughs> you
1: thank you right. uh, right. for the time and opportunity.
0: This show is produced by Carmel Sound Lab. And for more information, go to carmelsoundlab.com.